You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Heavenly Father, we come again with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm asking at this time, Lord, I'm just grateful that I'm here with my sister in Christ, Lord, that we have yet another week, Lord, to uplift your name, Lord, and to praise you and to partake in your word. And Lord, I'm asking, Lord, that you just pour your spirit out upon your people. I'm asking, Lord, that your Holy Ghost presence come upon us, Lord, and let it be strong. I'm asking that we be taught of your word today, Lord, by you, because, Lord, we place no confidence in the flesh. I pray, Lord, no flesh gets glorified in these studies, Lord, for this is all about glorifying you, the only one who is worthy of all praise. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief, every spirit, Lord, that is anti-Christ, every spirit of suicide, every demonic dog spirit, every spirit, Lord, that is not of you, I proclaim in the name of Jesus that it be bound. And Lord, I'm just asking for the brethren who couldn't make it today, Lord, that you look after them, that you preserve them, that you build them up that they do your will, Lord, whether they're here or not. I'm praying, Lord, that the people that will come here, Lord, that you send us able men and women, Lord. I don't care what walk of life that they're from or what they deal with or what they do. I pray, Lord, that you send them those, those who are warriors, those who are willing to get in the conflict, those who are selfless, those who want to serve the living God, for they love him, Lord, as much as we. Yes, and I pray, Lord, that they have something to contribute and to add to, Lord, for you sent your ministers, Lord, into the wilderness, that they may go and bring other people unto the truth. And I pray, Lord, that your will be done. I pray that these not be dead works. I pray, Lord, that your spirit be behind all things, Lord, for aside from you, we can do absolutely nothing. And I pray, Lord, for the witchcraft, Lord, that is going on in the churches. I pray against, Lord, the things that are happening, Lord, that are turning people's minds and their hearts away from you, Lord, for they are seeking after the things of the flesh, the things of the world, the things of religion, Lord, and not seeking a relationship with you. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you just keep the double-minded away from here, that you keep the hypocrite away from here, that we don't even want those people just hanging around. We want people that mean business, Lord, that are willing to be full of your spirit and to go out and proclaim the gospel and do all that you call. For, Lord, we have much to expose tonight, but we pray in your name, in Jesus' name, that these things are not to downplay anyone, Lord, but to expose people to the truth that they may see and they may understand that salvation is truly an individual affair, that the gate is truly narrow, and that, Lord, aside from being led of the Holy Ghost and being baptized in your spirit, 
that everything else outside of that is a dead work. Yes, Lord. Lord, we want to do good things, but more importantly, we want to do God things. And if we are not led by you, Lord, then there is nothing that we can do. Lord, we pray that you do these things for your glory and your honor, for you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and you are worthy to be praised. Lord, let us not utter words that don't come from no, you. Lord. We pray, Lord, that you edify, that you teach, that you preach, that you exhort, that you reprove, and that you build up and tear down in Jesus' name. name. Lord, do it for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' Jesus mighty and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so tonight's study is going to be called Witchcraft in the Church. Witchcraft in the Church. Now, I know this is the one place that a lot of people wouldn't think that they would find any, but, you know, you even got Christians today that don't even believe that witchcraft exists, even though the Bible talks about it all through, you know, from front to back. And, you know, I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. And, you know, tonight we're looking forward with the help and the guidance of the Lord to expose the witchcraft that has got people bound, that has mm-hmm. held people up. You know, it always intrigued me how people can be sitting in church for 30 and 40 years, knowing that they're not learning anything, no closer to the Lord than they ever were. But, you know, 20, 30 years ago, but they sit there and they entertain it and they're not even learning or gaining. But yet they're there and they're believing that they're in the truth. It just it's just behooves. I mean, it's just amazing how. People can just go into life and do these things, man, and not even recognize what the Lord wants them to do. This thing is about seeking a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I can tell anyone out there that any leader, any pastor that is not leading people unto the truth, that is not telling you about spiritual growth, that is not teaching you to die out to this world, that Christ may live in you, that that there'll be less of you, and more of Jesus Christ. Anyone is not telling you about birthing Jesus, about setting your treasures in heaven, and and not um, loving this world, then you know that they got to be of the spirit of Antichrist. They cannot be God's ministers and preachers because God's ministers and preachers always direct people to eternal life, right. not to enjoy the things that are here in this physical carnal world. So let's get started. I want to go to First uh, John chapter 2 because I want to make a quick point. And then we're going to get into exactly what witchcraft is and how it is defined and how the Lord defines it more important than anything. All right, so First John chapter 2, and we'll begin at verse 1, and it says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we should have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we understand here that Jesus has come in the flesh to, um, well, he came in the flesh to be the propitiation for our sins, to be an advocate with the Father, be a mouthpiece, be that sacrificial lamb that would take sin away from the whole world. So verse 3 says, And hereby uh, we do know that uh, we know him if we keep his commandments. Now I know you got a lot of churches out there telling people about the love of Jesus, 
But a lot of people are not telling you about sin. They're not telling you that we should stray away from it. That we ought to strive to have a life of holiness unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of people will go into different things that they call sins. You know, adultery, fornication, all these other things they get into. But what they don't discuss is the will of God and having a heart after the Lord. Because anyone that just tells you about those sins or whatever, yeah, that's only part of it. But is your will in line with the Lord? Because anything that goes outside of the Lord's will is sin. Any thoughts that are not of the Lord is sin. Any thoughts of the world that are not of the Spirit is sin. And that's the bottom line. Yep. There is no good in the flesh. Okay? So it says, uh, verse 4, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, I'm not pushing people up under commandments and laws. There's only two commandments that Jesus Christ gave that we are supposed to follow. One is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is to love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus said on these two laws, on, me, on these two commandments, hang all of the law and the prophets. So if we do those things in perfection with Christ, we are keeping the, the Ten Commandments. But the Ten Commandments, he said that he would take those two tables of stone and write them in our hearts. So what we're speaking of is a change in nature, not a bunch of rules and rituals. All right, so verse 5, and it says, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we uh, that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Mm -hmm. Now, this is another thing that a lot of, th a lot of churches are not teaching people. They're telling you to do your best. What is your best? What do you think? We're in the haberdashery business? You think we're making suits or cakes and pies? This is about being like Christ. So people ought to seek a relationship with him. Exactly. Okay? So he's talking about those that will walk as Jesus Christ walked. But let me continue for now. Brethren, I write no commandment unto you but an old commandment, which ye have from the beginning. The old commandment of, uh, is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, the new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. So he's talking about the Old Testament or the Old Covenant versus the New. There were so many things that were in mystery. There were a lot of works of the flesh to try to attempt to appease God. But God had always intended for a people that would know him up close and personal, that he could pull down that veil or Jesus when he died for our sins, that veil was rent. And then we were able to see what exactly it is that the Lord wanted because he would have, have he would give us his spirit that would bring us into all truth and righteousness. Mm -hmm. So this is what he's talking about as far as the darkness or, you know, um, being moved. He said, because it's the past. And, and now the true light, I mean, the true light now shineth. Verse 9, he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. So you get a lot of pastors out there that will tell people, invite these people to my church. 
I want you, why don't you guys bring someone to come and sit next to you on Sunday or whatever like that? Mm -hmm. Okay, so, you know, you're inviting them to come to the church. But see, what the Lord is speaking about here, what John is trying to explain is everyone having an individual relationship with Christ, having Jesus Christ formed in them. So instead of encouraging people to come to your church where they may learn more, you need to encourage people to get full of the Holy Ghost and full of the Word of God that they may preach the gospel and teach others. Because if salvation is an individual affair, soul winning is not inviting people to your church. Soul winning is leading people into a relationship with Christ that he may grow in them and be built in them. Okay, so any man that can walk by his brother, you hate your brother. If you don't want to teach them about what the Bible says, or you don't want to tell them about the importance of eternal life and seeking a relationship with Jesus, you hate your brother. And Jesus said, he that hated this brother, you know, that um, they're, they're murderers, that they are not, you know, men that love God. Mm -hmm. And John further goes into, in, in the next chapter, how can any man say that he loves God and pass him by? And say that he, I mean, and pass his brother every day that he can see. Yep. All right, so it says, He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. So if you love your brother, you're going to see to it that your brother's doing okay. You're not going to lead him to stumble, and you're not going to stumble because you're doing the righteous works of God, being led by the Spirit, of course. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth, uh, because the darkness hath blinded his eyes. And that's why if you compare this scripture to Second Corinthians chapter 4, it makes clear when it says that, you know, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. Mm -hmm. Lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them, they really have no hope. So this is all a part of, people who are walking around blinded in the world. But see, John is going to make a point here why for those people that are in darkness, that can pass their brother, that won't walk as Jesus Christ walked or do what Jesus Christ does, you know, we're going to find coming up why this is. This is not just willpower. There's something else that they're paying attention to. Verse 12, I write unto you little children, because your sins are forgiven, uh, you for his name's sake, his namesake, I write unto you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children, because ye have known the Father. So um, John is, is approaching all people in all walks of life, whatever your stature is, whether you've known Jesus Christ from the beginning, whether you have been young people in Christ trying to learn about Christ, whether you are, you know, young men that are on your way that have overcome the wickedness of the enemy, and whether you are, you know, because you have um, little children like, you know, beginners that have known the Father. Verse 14, I have written unto you fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning. Who was that? Jesus Christ. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you. So you can even say the word of God abiding in you is Jesus Christ in you. And ye have overcome the wicked one. All right, verse 15. Here we go. Here is the problem 
okay, that John is, is meaning to address for those who hate their brother, who can pass them by, who walk in darkness, who are not of God. It says here, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So we understand here that those who love the world can't love God, and they can't love their brother. The Bible makes clear you cannot serve two masters. Right. You're either going to love one or you're going to hate the other. Now, I know tonight's subject is, is on the uh, witchcraft in the church, but you got to understand first the setup behind why the church is very much like the world today or why people don't want to hearken unto the words of the Lord and obey God and do what he says because they have another God. So if you love this world, the Bible makes clear in James 4, you are the enemy of, the, of God. That's if right. you are Amen. friendship with the world, you are the enemy of God. So, you know, the lust of the flesh are the things that the flesh indulges in, the things that we need to be sustained with, you know. Maybe um, overindulging in food. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, um, even... Uh, TV. You know, TV, uh a whole bunch of things you can get into about what the flesh lusteth after. Pretty much anything that's not in the spirit is the lust of the flesh. Yep. The lust of the eyes are things that lead you into things like adultery. It can also lead you into overeating. It can lead you into fornication. It can lead you into greed, you know, desiring to have what the world has, whether yep. it's a new car, whether it's a new house. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with these things, but when you are led by them or you begin to covet, those things are not of God because covetousness is a sin. Mm -hmm. That's greed. And you know, greed has nothing to do with God nope. or pride of life. Who you want to be in the world, who you see yourself as being, being very proud of who you are or what, or you being proud of something else. And this is why even racism has taken a lot of people down because they become proud, proud of their heritage, proud of what people that preceded them have done. And Christians are supposed to be odorless, colorless, and tasteless only after the Lord. So when the devil came in, in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 and offered Jesus these same things, Jesus refused him. Jesus didn't want all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus didn't want, to, he didn't think that um, feeding himself after 40 days was more important than obeying the will of the Spirit. So you see, the, the devil couldn't get to Jesus. He couldn't make Jesus throw himself off a temple just to prove that he was the son of God. Mm -hmm. So you see, Jesus didn't care anything about pride. He knew who he was in his father. He didn't care about what he could gain in the world. And he did not care about um, feeding himself or taking care of his will over the will of the spirit. That's right. Okay, so we understand that these are the things that have taken the church down. I mean, how many pastors out there today even preaching on fasting or even preaching on prayer or even trying to tell you what you need to go forward in Christ? Self-denial. You don't find that anywhere, even though that was the central part of Jesus's gospel. He said that anyone that loveth mother or father, son or daughter or anything more than me is not worthy of me and they cannot be my disciple. Mm -hmm. Any man that does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of my disciple. And I mean, just to show you, not worthy of being um, with me. But even when Jesus 
addressed a man that whose father just died. Jesus said, come and follow me. And the guy said, wait, let me bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. But Jesus said, follow after me. Like in other words, I understand, but that's worldly. We need to get on to saving souls instead of worrying about what already is. That there's nothing that you can do anything about. So our God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was not a God of slack. But unless we can overcome the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, we cannot serve the Lord. And what we're going to find is any of these things can be labeled as witchcraft. We're going to go into all this. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So you understand it is with God's will, not ours. That's why we did that teaching on a battle of wills, not a battle of skills. Mm -hmm. Who are you obeying? Yourself, the devil, or you're going to obey the Lord? That's right. Verse 18. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Now, notice in 17, he says that the world and the lust thereof pass away. But then he said, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now he's warning children about Antichrist in, um, in, in uh, verse 18. You got to understand, what does Antichrist mean? Any, oh. Good. Um, in, against Christ or in place of? Exactly. Against or in place of. So you see, witchcraft can fall along these lines. Yeah. He talks about first the will of God. But then, you know, you can either have another God or replace God or go against God. See, now, if I'm talking to worldly people about what I said, and I just said that God's will is what's important and we have to forsake the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, which is the same thing that Satan tempted Adam and Eve with, you get that a worldly person would want to fight against me. So fighting against the words of God, you are Antichrist Mm -hmm. because you're going against what the Bible says. That's right. Even if you're teaching against what's being presented here, you are Antichrist because the Bible is making clear what the desires of God are. So if let's just say you took another preacher that told you, it doesn't matter what you do in this life, just... Make time for God, but be the best you can be here. That is Antichrist, because it speaks against what God wants us to be and what he wants us to do. Can I make a quick point? Yeah. Um, There have been times I've told people about what the scriptures have said, and, you know, I I know that you've heard this before, but Mm -hmm. it's like they say because they get offended and don't want to change, they say, well, that's your interpretation of it. And I'm like, that's not my interpretation when I'm just plainly giving you what the scripture says exactly. but they want to say that because now you've hit the strong man in them that doesn't want to change exactly and that's exactly what that is the spirit of antichrist so look at verse 19 they went out from us but they were not of us for if they had been with of us they would no doubt have continued with us but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us So the Bible makes clear here, too, that for those people that parted from the will of the Lord, you know, he mentions Antichrist here, those people that don't remain, they have another God. The only reason why anyone doesn't follow the Lord or does everything that the Lord tells us to do or to be led of the Spirit is because we have our own lust within us that won't go in accordance with what the Spirit wants us to. 
All right, verse 20. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Now you see a lot of people can say, well, at least I know I'm in the right church because my pastor talks about Jesus Christ. And he mentions, you know, being of Jesus. But you got to understand, what does this pastor say about Jesus and what we need to do in Jesus? Mm -hmm. That's important because if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible makes clear that there is another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit that if people don't pay attention to, things will bear well with them. But if they go in accordance and just hearing Jesus, but not having Jesus match up with the Jesus of the Bible and with Scripture, you are serving Antichrist and not the Christ. Yep. All right, so it says, um, he is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. So, you know, to even deny Jesus is even to deny the will of Jesus. It's even to deny the will of the Father. It's even to deny the Holy Ghost or the gifts of the Spirit that the Bible gives us. So all these things can be border, no, not even borderline. All these things are witchcraft if, you, if, if anyone partakes in them and they are not following the Lord. Mm -hmm. Look at verse um, 23. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hate, I mean, hath, um, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Now this can even be in terms of those who don't believe in the Trinity, even though the Bible talks about him. We're not talking about three gods. We're talking about one God and three persons. But we're also talking about the Godhead, or even the word God, what it means in Hebrew is Elohim, meaning the I am is plural. And I mean, that is clear. Let, let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, um, also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. So we have to stay according to the truth. And we have to stay according to the will of, the, of God. Because if not, anything outside of that is the spirit of Antichrist. And is not. And is, and is witchcraft. And is not of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to prove that. Let's get started in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 15. Because we're going we're gonna to address witchcraft right here. You know, and outright what it means. Some people say, oh, I don't play around with candles. I'm not involved in the occult, so therefore I'm not into witchcraft. Okay, so let's see. <laughs> All right, 1 Samuel 15, and we'll start at verse 1, and it says, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek, which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, oxen and sheep, camel and ass. 
So God wanted everything. He wanted Amalek destroyed, and he wanted anything associated with Amalek destroyed. Now, who was Amalek? The Amalekites, a group of giants. Exactly. They were groups of giants. Amalek means angel, or it means like, you know, so Amalek, they are a part of, and it means dweller in the valley. That's what Amalekites means. But you got to understand that they were dealing with giants here. They were not dealing with men as we know them to be men. They had the bloodline and the seed of Nephilim. So people can get off the Lord's back when he says, kill every man, woman, and child. Because these things were not in accordance with God's plan. Mm -hmm. Neither was anything associated with them. Okay, so this was not of the will of God. Verse 4, And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them and uh, to lamb, or tell him, uh, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. So he had a massive army. Mm -hmm. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye shoot kindness to all the children of Israel uh, when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. So Kenites are not of the race of giants. Kenites were, you know, people that were trying to help the children of Israel when they had their issue. So then it says in verse 7, And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until, um, until thou comest to Shur, uh, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people uh, with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings of and the lambs and all that was good uh, and would not utterly destroy them but everything that was vile and and, re, and refused uh, that they destroyed them that they destroyed utterly so we understand here that Saul did not obey what the Lord told him to do the Lord told Saul to destroy everything so Saul keeps the king of, of, of the Amalekites, Agag, as some type of trophy to show that he has them. And he brought back the best of the Amalekites, the fatlings of his flock, and he had a bunch of stuff. So right now Saul is being disobedient to what the Lord told him to do. Look at verse 10. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. For he is turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. So some people would say, now if you looked at this in the carnal sense, man, Saul gained victory over his enemies. He destroyed them just like the Lord said, and he brought back the fatlings of his flock. We can learn a lot from 1 Samuel 15, because what is clear here is, the will of God must be done. Mm -hmm. Not some of it, not part of it. He's speaking of all of it. What God wants from his servants is total obedience. And unless we're being led by the Spirit in all affairs, this is disobedience before God. This is sin. Okay? So verse 12. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gigal. 
And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So Saul doesn't even recognize that he wasn't obeying the Lord. Saul thought because he was king, everything is fine. Verse 14, And Samuel said, What meaneth of then uh, this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? So he was like, Samuel said, Okay, so if what you said is true, if you have performed the commandments of the Lord, what am I doing hearing sheep and oxen around you and all this stuff going on? I'm not supposed to be hearing that, Saul. Verse 15, And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, from the people, spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and to rest we have utterly and the rest we have utterly destroyed. So Saul said, Okay, what I'm gonna do here is I'm gonna save these things because I want to contribute them to my God. Now this ought to teach us something because God doesn't want anything that he didn't tell you that he wants. Mm -hmm. So that means total obedience. We have to do good things verse I mean we have to do God things versus good things. Now, someone would say, well, Saul did a good work. He brought back more sacrifice unto the Lord. But what Saul has to understand and what Samuel understands is you have to be obedient to what God wants you to do, not what you can think of doing for yourself. Right. All right. So verse 16, then Samuel said unto Saul, stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, say on. And Samuel said, When thou was little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. So the Lord wanted to make sure that the enemies would go. I can make a quick point right here because let's just say that Samuel is the pastor, okay? And let's just say that, well, let's just say that Samuel is the voice piece of the Lord. Let's just say Samuel's Jesus Christ here, okay? And you got soul that might be a pastor or a church. If God didn't tell you or Jesus Christ didn't tell you that something should be in that church, it should not be in that church. Why I'm bringing this up is because you have witchcraft all in the church. And the point I want to make here is the Lord told Samuel to tell Saul to make sure the Amalekites who were labeled here in verse 18 as sinners and, and that they should fight against them until they be consumed, meaning that there should be no sin in the midst. Know what anybody does is okay. No coexisting, no tolerance, no any of the stuff that people think is okay today in churches. We ought to obey the Lord and what he calls. Verse 19, wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and did evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have done the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag, the king of, of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. So, you know, I would want to tell Saul, if I was talking to him, 
Now, if he was sitting here reading the Bible with me, I would say, okay, well, we're anywhere from verse 1, all right, on to verse 21. Did the Lord say anything about bringing back Agag or the sheep or the oxen or anything that you found from the Amalekites? Yep. But you see, if we don't obey what God calls, this is sin. This is not righteous, no matter what it looks like to you and I. Mm -hmm. But the people took of the spoiled sheep and oxen uh, the chief of the things uh, which have, I mean, which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gigal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? So, you know, um, he's asking him a question. So, Saul, sacrifices unto the Lord, do you really think that they are as important as obedience unto the Lord. Then he says, uh, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken uh, than the fat of rams. So he's saying it is more important that the Lord's will be done than to be pleased in the Lord than to try and offer him some sacrifice. And this is where you can compare Jesus to the Old Testament. The Old Testament was all about doing works unto the Lord that we may receive what the Lord wants us to have. But when you compare those things to what the Lord calls us to do, or what the Lord demands that we do, he always wanted his people obedient unto Jesus Christ. And that's why in the new covenant, he gave us his spirit, that his words may be placed in our hearts, that we may seek what the Lord wants and not what we want. Okay, so he always intended for obedience sacrifice only became a part of sin. If you look at Adam and Eve, the Lord only gave them one commandment, eat from the tree of life, do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Once they had partaken of the evil and disobeyed the Lord, they fell from grace. They fell from where they were. This is also symbolic for the law and grace. If we being led by the spirit, there is nothing that we can do in the flesh to accommodate the spirit. We have to be led by the spirit unto healthy works and not dead works or laboring in vain, which the Bible says. So verse 23 says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. So we understand that witchcraft and rebellion are synonymous. They're almost the same. Why anybody would rebel against the Lord, they have to be led of witchcraft. If you look at stubbornness or you look at iniquity, they said those things are equal to idolatry. So if you were to put idolatry first before all of these things, we recognize here that the reason why Saul was rebellious, the reason why Saul was stubborn, the reason why Saul had iniquity and Saul was labeled along with being of witchcraft is because Saul was an idolater. Who did he idolize? Himself. Because he could not have idolized the Lord and did what the Lord said to do. You see, so if God is God and Jesus Christ is Lord and we are and he is our Savior, then that means that we do everything that our Lord calls us to do. Mm -hmm. Unless we are being led by the Spirit in all affairs, we are, we are a rebellious, we are into witchcraft, we are stubborn, 
and there is iniquity within us. And more importantly, we are idolaters. Mm -hmm. And those things will let the Lord reject. I mean, that will allow the Lord to reject us instead of being up under him. Now, if you look at this good enough, it's even talking about, um, let's see, this can even be compared to um, worshiping the world and not worshiping the Lord. Now, you see, you get a lot of so-called carnal Christians out here. You start telling them to forsake the world and go after Christ, and you see the reaction that you get? Yep. Because they have another God. This isn't hard for a Christian to do. Now, do I work for a living? Yes. But the point is, as I'm recognizing that the Lord is making a way that I won't have to do it anymore. I'm looking for a way out. I'm not looking for a way to remain. Mm. Or when this thing gets cut from us one day, right. you know, then I'm going to, hey, Lord, you said this was evil anyway. I never wanted to be someone great in this life. Mm. I only wanted to be, you know, better in you and have you greater in me that I may pursue your will, not mine. Exactly. And that's why when you go to... um. Romans 12, it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Mm -hmm. So you see what the Lord always wanted us to not be conformed with the world, to be separate, to be holy, and to be a part of his will. But in order for God's will to be done, we have to be sacrificed or we have to lay ourselves on the altar that Christ may enter us and work through us. So Saul wanted to do his will and not the Lord's. And we're going to find in other cases that God doesn't play around when he wants us to obey. He means business. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 10. Let's go to Leviticus 10. I want to prove this point again about what is witchcraft. Because witchcraft is rebellion. Any type of rebellion to the Lord is witchcraft. Yep. All right, Leviticus 10 and 1. And it says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put um, incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me. So understand here that the Lord was talking about he will be sanctified in them that come near. Okay, so in order to get closer to God, we have to be sanctified and separate. Mm -hmm. We can't offer God strange fire exactly. because if God didn't ask for it, he doesn't want it. He doesn't care anything about your harebrained schemes. He doesn't care anything about your holidays or the things that you want to celebrate. If you are not led by the Spirit... God is not for it. Yep. So then he says, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Now, Aaron's two sons just died. Moses explained, you see what happens when you go outside of the will of the Lord? If you are going to be close to the Lord, then everything that comes to him, including you, need to be sanctified. And if they think God is kidding, let two more people try it and see what would happen. But see, Aaron had to hold his peace. He can't get mad at God for this. They disobeyed God, and this was the outcome. Let's go to Galatians 5. 
We understand that witchcraft, I mean, come on, look at all the wrongful doing that we see going on in church. We're going to get into all of this. Why? Because this is so important for yes. the Holy Ghost to fall on a place. We have to be in line with the will of God. That's right. Not our own, or God will reject you. All right, Galatians 5, and it says, uh, let's start at verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. So this kind of matches up with Leviticus 10, because he talked about devouring one another and biting one another. Now, you can't say that Abihu and Nadab, Nadab were trying to do that, but what they did was offer the Lord something against as well. And you see, they were consumed, you know, by the fire of the Lord and not following him. So it says in verse 15 again, But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. You don't want to play around with God. You want to be in his will. Now look at 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So that's clear that he's he's comparing the flesh unto the spirit. Now had, uh, what's his name, sons, Aaron's sons, obeyed the spirit and what God said to do, they would have been all right. Mm -hmm. But they fulfilled the lust of the flesh, offering the Lord what they wanted to offer, the same thing that Saul did uh, with Samuel and the Lord. And you see the reaction was the same. God rejected him from being king. Mm -hmm. All right, so it says now, verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So anything fleshly, anything worldly does not go along with anything spiritual. Mm -hmm. And these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So think about it. He's saying that they're contrary one to the other, that you can't do the things that you would normally do. The things that you would normally do in the flesh, you cannot do if you walk in the Spirit. This is clear. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, which is like, you know, lustful desires, uh, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, and heresies. Okay, so let's break this down. Variance, which means to be against. Emulations, trying to mimic people that you've seen do things. God wants you to be your own individual in Christ. Mm -hmm. So to emulate is a work of the flesh, not a work of the spirit. Wrath, the Bible talks about not to let the sun go down on your wrath to give place unto the devil. You don't want to do this. And then it talks about strife. When you're just looking for trouble, seditions, when you're causing division, heresies, bringing in doctrine, okay, that are like privy, like doctrine that has nothing to do with the will of the Lord. Okay, like, like you know, like if I were to bring in uh, let's say once saved, always saved. Let's say the pre-tribulation rapture where you can't find anywhere in this Bible. Okay, so those things would be damnable heresies. Verse 21, envyings, wanting what someone else is having or, or desiring what someone else has. That's a sin. Murders, 
the Lord said, now this could be abortion. This can be straight up murder. This can mean hating your brother yeah. or not loving your brother. Okay, all those things go under murder. Drunkenness, yeah, that can mean alcohol, but it can also mean into yourself. Mm -hmm. Being drunk in the flesh, drunken in false religion, just asleep and not awake to the to the instruction of the Lord. Right. Then you got revelings, which is like riot, rioting, wild partying, having a good old time in the world instead of seeking what the Lord tells you to do. And such like of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you were to look at adultery, Jesus said, you know, hey, if you even look at a woman in lust, you have already committed the act. So the Lord is calling his people unto a higher place with him. And that, that means a change in nature. That's the only thing that's going to change your mind. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Okay, so you don't need law to do any of these because these are of a nature. These are the nature of God. So if you have the nature of God, then these fruit will grow in you. And, and I like how it, it separates works from fruit mm -hmm. because you see the works of the flesh are these that are manifest. Those things are doing things outside of the spirit. That's why the Bible always referred to works, dead works, laboring in vain not doing the things that the Lord calls us to do. So works are considered your own plan, okay? Fruit are considered the plan of the Spirit, what the Spirit wants to do with you this particular day. But outside of that, works are just works. I'm coming up with this idea. This is what I desire to do. So you see how your will has to be in line with the Lord or it's considered works, Yeah. okay? Now there is a place for works, and that's why... We'll go, we'll get there. But, you know, when you go to James 2, it talks about how works cannot override the spirit. The spirit leads us unto good works. Right. All right. So verse 24, and it says, they that are Christ and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory provoking one another and envying one another. So we understand that those that are of Jesus Christ have um, crucified the flesh and the affections and lust. So look how much lust is in the church. Look at how this prosperity gospel is being preached. Look at how this, this word of faith doctrine is being preached. And, and all people use the word of faith doctrine for is what they can obtain in the world. Money, come to me now. I put my hand on this Lamborghini and it's supposed to come to me because I said so. So you see, that word of faith movement leads you unto the flesh. Yeah. It doesn't lead you unto the desires of the Lord. And that's why we got to understand what God's purpose is for eternal life, to be in the spirit and be against those things that are of the flesh, fleshly seeking or fleshly desiring. Because those things are not of the Lord. Mm -hmm. So if we walk in the spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And what is walking in the spirit? Obeying the spirit of God. And if you don't hear the voice of God, then you need to seek a relationship with him until you do. That's right. Okay? Because you should make any move void of what the Lord tells you that you should want or Amen. do. 
So let's go to Deuteronomy 18. Because we're going to get into some things concerning witchcraft. Witchcraft falls into two categories. Well, actually three. One is like what a magician is. Okay. Two is drugs. And three is dealing in the occult. And, you know, doing all sorts of magic and witchcraft and things. Okay. But witchcraft has many places. You know, a friend of mine told me that in her culture, that instead of being punished, they ignore you where she's from. And um, I'm not going to say where she's from or who she is, because that's not important. But the point is that she said that they ignore you. And she said that's a punishment and it makes you sad. And, you know, you really wish that you would just get a spanking and get it over with that you might be right. Well, if you look up in India or in Hinduism, it, ignoring someone or silence is a form of witchcraft. It's a form of sorcery because it's trying to lead you unto wondering what's going to happen. So it's a form of mind control or controlling others. Any type of manipulation can be considered witchcraft. Mm -hmm. All right, so where did I say go real quick? Deuteronomy 18. Yeah. I'm so busy running my mouth. I'm like, man, where did I say go? <laughs> It is important that we serve the Lord. That's right. All right, so it says, we'll start at verse 1 this time. And it says, The priest, uh, the Levites, and all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his inheritance. Therefore shall they have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance. And he hath said unto them, so, you know, the Levite priests were different because they had to eat what was in the temple. They had to deal with the Lord themselves. God provided for them differently because priests need to stay pure. Mm -hmm. And that's why when we have partaken in the spirit of the Lord, you know, he's, the Bible says he's called us to be kings and priests. Not kings so we can rule over others, but understanding what our inheritance is and being joint heirs with Christ. Mm -hmm. But then he also speaks of being priests because priests make sacrifices in the temple. Right. And if we are the temple of the living God, the only sacrifice that God wants from you is you. Exactly. Okay, so that he has a body that he can work through. Verse 3, and this shall be the priest due from the people, from them that offer a sacrifice, whether it be ox or sheep, and they shall give unto the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the maw. <laughs> The first fruit also of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thy oil, and the first of the fleece of, of uh, thy sheep, uh, shalt thou give him. For the Lord thy God hath chosen him out of all thy tribes to stand uh, to minister in the name of the Lord, uh, him and his sons forever. So think about the Lord calling the Levites out of all the tribes and to minister and to stand before the Lord, you know, and, and in the name of the Lord, to be before him. They're called unto a higher place. It's the same thing with any pastor, or any teacher, anybody that really wants a relationship with the Lord or to be with him, that you need to be in that place where you stand before him blameless or, you know, doing what he says to do. Now, I want to remind people of the Day of Atonement. If you go to um, Hebrews 9, it talks a lot about it, but... We got to understand that the people that were in the outer court of the temple remained on the outside. That's where they worshiped. 
okay, on the inner court was where the priest would go, which is where they would make the sacrifice of the Lord, and then the high priest would take that sacrifice and bring it into the most holy place, which represents the spirit, you know, that the sacrifice would be made. Now, if the priest wasn't dressed in the proper jewels, if he didn't confess all his sins before the Lord, and if he didn't come in there right, he was struck dead right on the spot, and they started tying bells and you know around the priest's feet because if he was struck dead and they don't hear any more jewels or anything moving, they had to drag him out because he was the only one that was allowed to go into that place. So you see, God had always called us unto obedience and not unto witchcraft. Mm -hmm. He didn't play around with it then. He's not playing around with it now. That's right. All right, so it says, verse 6, And if a Levite come from any of thy gates out of all Israel, where he sojourned uh, to come with all the desire of his mind unto the place which the Lord shall choose. So you see, his desire of his mind, everything, had to be in line with what the Lord wanted and not of his own. Verse 7, Then he shall minister in the name of the Lord his God and all his brethren, the Levites do, and uh, which stand uh, there before the Lord. They shall have like portions to eat beside that which cometh of the sale of his um, patrimony. Verse 9, when thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of the of uh, those nations. So he's making clear. He straightened out how the Levites ought to be, how they ought to be pure in mind, how they ought to be pure in sacrifice, how they ought to serve the Lord in obedience. Now we're going into 9, which is talking about when you come into the land, because they are not yet in the land, the promised land where they should be. But he's saying when you come into the land, nothing is to change. You are not to do after the abomination of those nations. Why? Because those things are not of God. You have to get a little water right back on track. And it says, There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. So we understand that passing through fire was something that went on at the Tower of Babel. You know, the first um, temple of Moloch was actually up, like one of the last temples in the Tower of Babel that they built. And that's where they would do child sacrifice. People would go and bring their children up, lay them on the white hide hands of Moloch, who was none other than Nimrod, okay? And that's what that golden calf represents, Nimrod. But they would lay the, the child on the white hot hands of this statue, which was supposed to be a god. Those hands would have been heating all day long to the point to where, you know, they were glowing. So once the child was put on there, the child would automatically disintegrate. But what was worse in this Valley of Hinnom um, when the, when they started doing it later on in, um, in Jerusalem, that they would have this area called Topheth, which means um, mourning or, or drums playing to mourning or drums, something like that. But while the people would lay their hands on this, on this statue or lay the other uh, children on, they would sit there and play music and things like that to drown out the sound of the agony or the crying babies. 
and that was called the Valley of Hinnom, and that was at the south part of Jerusalem, but they were not supposed to be engaging in this, which is child sacrifice. So that's what it means by letting your son or your daughter pass through the fire. Those things were abominable works, and then you wonder where we get abortion today. It is the same thing. Anybody interested in learning more, go to SantaTrumpetMinistries.com and look up abortion, a blood sacrifice to Satan, okay? Because that is what's going on. But you see, people are just looking at it as it's a woman's right to choose. But you see, that also is outside of the will of God. He said what not to do, and look at what people are doing. And some people will say, well, I'm not ready to be a mother. I got to go to college. I want to do this. I want to do that. You think these people did this this day for any other reason than that? They said that they would have gain if they sacrificed their children unto Moloch. So it's the same thing. There's nothing new under the sun. Or that use of divination. So divination is a fortune teller. You got anybody wanting to read your palms or you got anybody putting cards in front of you trying to say they can read your future, stay away from them, okay? Because that word for divination is like a python spirit. It's a spirit that is supposed to be like an oracle that reads futures and things like that. Those things are wrong for you. And I can tell you, Derek Prince had talked many times about dealing with people that wanted to uh, serve Jesus Christ and be born again, and they had to be delivered from the spirit of divination and other occult practices because that spirit, that python spirit, would try and keep people from serving the Lord. And he said in most cases when the spirit won't fall on somebody, it's because you've been to a fortune teller or someone and you have not renounced it. Okay, so we got to be real careful with that stuff and we can't dealing this. And then it says, or an observer of times. That's an astrologer. So those are people that like to go and read their newspaper, read their horoscopes, get into their zodiac, going into all that. None of those things are of the Lord that we are supposed to stay away from. And you got church people talking about horoscopes and zodiac as much as people in the world do. Yep. And they think that it's okay. It's not okay. All right. And then you got, um, or an enchanter. That's a hypnotist. And this is why a lot of people try and go into getting their therapy, you know, going in and, you know, going into hypnotic trance and uh, uh, what do they call that? Uh, meditation and yeah. doing all this stuff by, by an enchanter. That's a hypnotist. You're not supposed to engage in those because enchantment is one of the easiest ways to get full of demons. As you open yourself up to the spirit world, while these people are placing suggestive thoughts into your mind, then you got other spirits or demons, I would like to say, that can enter you. And this is what a lot of pastors are doing to people and people don't even know. There is no reason that you should have a psychologist in the church or a psychiatrist. God never worked with his people that way. The way that God worked with his people was dealing with your heart, dealing with the healing power of the Holy Ghost, and people being transformed by the word of God, that they may not be selfless, but be full of Jesus. So anytime you got hip, you got hypnotists in churches, you got yoga studios, you got all this new age garbage, those things don't belong in God's kingdom. This is what the heathen did, or a witch. That's a person that casts spells. You know, it could be male or female. And then it says, or a charmer. I'm going to tell people outright, 
Be careful what you take from people. I don't care if you went to Africa and someone gave you a necklace or they gave you something, you know, like a lucky rabbit's foot or whatever, and they tell you you'll always have good luck, throw it in the trash because a Christian doesn't need it. These things can be demonically charged objects that they give you and then demons will come into your life. Okay, also, when it talks about a charmer, I'm going to tell pregnant women, don't have anybody put, you know, um, or tell you, I'm going to find out what kind of baby you've got. And then they go and they take a, um, what do you pendulum. call it, a necklace, pendulum. a pendulum or necklace, and they put it over the baby to see if it rocks back and forth or it goes around in a circle mm -hmm. to determine what is a boy or girl. Stay away from that, okay? Because you got church people that are doing this mess too. And they said babies usually have the worst problems after that. Yeah. Or a lot of women even have miscarriages or unable to have children because of that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then it talks about a consultant with familiar spirits. That's a medium, okay? And then it says, or a wizard or a necromancer. Necromancers are people that consort with the dead. Now, you get a lot of people in churches proclaiming prophecy about something. Oh, brother or sister such and such, oh, your mom is speaking to me right now. This is what the Catholics do in terms of purgatory, claiming that your family members, they can communicate with them. The Bible says, I believe in Ecclesiastes 9, or is it, it says that the dead know not nothing. You cannot communicate with the dead. Nope. Like that movie Ghost and Whoopi Goldberg, what she was doing, that would be considered a necromancer or a consultor of familiar spirits. They cannot do that. What they end up interacting with are familiar spirits, which are spirits that hang around your family, and they can see the way that your parents acted or whomever, and then they come from the dead, supposedly, trying to tell you about your mom and your dad. And they can tell you things with great accuracy. They can tell you, oh, yeah, remember when you were you six years old, you broke your arm and all that? Yeah, so you see, I'm your mom or your brother or your dad or whomever, you know, and I'm here to guide you back to the truth. You better know one thing, that the dead know nothing, and we cannot communicate with the dead. Yep. These people are engaging familiar spirits that they're not supposed to. So if you got any any false prophets, any pastors out there, any teachers telling you that they'll go and talk to your parents for you or they're engaged in some spirit that's not the Holy Ghost, get away from that. Mm -hmm. Now, some people would say, well, how do we know if it's the Holy Ghost? Hold where you are, and we're going to go to we're going to go to First um, John 4. Because all these things that I've named so far... This is considered witchcraft. This is the occult. These are things we're not supposed to be practicing in mm -hmm. and playing with. All right, 1 John 4 and verse 1, it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, meaning test them, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now, I know some people would say, well, I do that. You know, actually, I'm going to look up a meaning real quick because I want to make this clear about what confessing means and what um, coming in the flesh means because a lot of people would take this wrong because they don't understand. That's why you got to understand the Hebrew words 
and you have to understand the Greek sometimes because they put greater emphasis. I would encourage anybody to get a concordance and to look these, these things up themselves. Right, absolutely. And the interesting thing is, is about what was just read in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18 is that the devil makes it appealing to do, you know, to go like to a necromancer. Mm-hmm. He'll make it appealing because he'll make it to where it, the person seems all nice and, and kind and saying, oh, you know, I can do these things for you. It's nothing wrong. Or to get your fortune read, people mm-hmm. will be calm. They'll look all nice to you. But if you don't see the demonic spirit behind the person, then you'll fall for it. And then when all this bad stuff starts happening to you, you won't understand what's like, well, you know, I just went to a fortune teller at the fair. Mm-hmm. You know, what was wrong with that? I was just having a good time. Man, you got to wake up to what the devil is really trying to deceive people with. That's right, because what's his name? I love Derek Prince. He talked about Dennis Bennett said, mm-hmm. you know, that some people say I went to a fortune teller just for a joke. He said, like Dennis Bennett said, it's like counting the tiger's teeth just for a joke. You don't want to play around like that. So the Greek word here for confessive is G3670, and it is pronounced uh, homologio or homologio, and it means to say the same thing as another, to agree with, assent, to concede, not to refuse, to promise, not to deny, to confess, declare, to confess, to admit or declare uh, oneself guilty of what one is accused of, uh, to profess, to declare openly, speak out freely, to profess oneself, to worship her, uh, of one to praise or celebrate. Now, the one that I want to focus on is when it says to not refuse. Okay, because to not refuse is a lot of people confess Jesus is this, but they won't confess all the other things that Jesus said. Right. So you've got to confess that Jesus was in the flesh, not just that, what he did in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, a lot of people get this misunderstanding. So it says, is come. I'm looking, is come. And this word is um, G20, G2064. And it means archomai. And it says to come of persons, to come from one place to another. Um, and used both of persons arriving to appear, make one's appearance, come before the public. Metaphorically, to come into being, arise come forth, show itself, find place or influence, be established, become known, um, to come into or unto, to go to follow one. Okay, so that to follow one, hey, you know, to confess it means that you have to believe in all the truth that Jesus Christ did and all he did in the flesh. That's right. Okay, so what are the main things that we would focus on of a spirit being of God? Was Jesus born of a virgin? Did he come for the sake of all sins? Mm-hmm. Did he have um did he um did he die and uh, was he crucified like the Bible says and did he rise again on the third day and is he coming back? If anyone doesn't confess that, then they do not believe in Jesus Christ. Or teach repentance. And teach repentance. And he is the um, the only way, the only one for sins. Okay, the only mediator between God and man. 
So he says, um, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now is already in the world. So the Lord wants us to know that we need to be able to check these things out and see where people are. We quickly believe anytime someone says God with a smile on their faces, then, oh, they must be of the truth. But we got to understand what God's truth is and what his desire is. So we have to check every spirit to see what is God. That's right. And we're going to find out right here why that's so important. So back to Deuteronomy 18, I believe. What verse did we stop at? Uh, 11. Okay. All right. Deuteronomy 18 and 11, and it says... Uh, we stopped at 11. Uh, we stopped at 12, okay. Let me add 11. Okay, this is 12. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord... And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. So, you know, I want to get into this too because a lot of people don't even think that they could be witchcraft in the church. You got to understand how the occult works because, you know, John Todd said many times when witches wrote songs, they wrote them in which language, mm -hmm. okay? And they also, John Todd also understood that it's not the um, the words, it's the beat. Like satanic music, it's the beat. Mm -hmm. But for Christian music, it's the words are the emphasis. But you got to understand this. Just because they're saying things, we got to find out what spirit these things are of. Because a lot of demonic um, influence gets spread through the music. Yep. You got a lot of contemporary Christian music here that people don't believe in, that they don't think it's a problem, and they don't realize they're getting pushed farther away from the Lord and yeah. not of the Spirit. You go to Colossians 3, you go to Ephesians 5, he makes clear that we worship the Lord in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody unto the Lord, our hearts, that we're not of the world, but we are of Christ. Okay, we have to push up Jesus and reverence and worship him, not be of ourselves. And that's why there is no rap music mm. in in the um the church. Just how Aaron's sons have offered strange fire, that's the same thing that God will reject if you're not bringing what came from heaven, which is pure worship of a pure heart and is a psalm, hymn, or spiritual song. Yes, sir. And in many songs today, because, you know, we got to be really careful of, when a song doesn't say Jesus Christ or if it even references God, mm -hmm. you got to be careful about what God that they're talking about. Or if it doesn't say Jesus Christ, but it says him or he, mm -hmm. it's like you don't know who they're talking about. That's right. You know? And another way that the enemy works, he works in hand gestures, hand symbols. Mm -hmm. If anybody's ever seen the Illuminati things, you can have your pastor sitting up there talking to you about the love of Jesus and you see his hands placed on his chest. Or you see he does the bull horns where his index finger and his pinky finger stick out while the other fingers are down. Mm -hmm. You guys got to be aware of this stuff because that can be, that's casting a spell on you. You even seen George Bush Jr. and the other presidents do this. 
and politicians. Why? Because it puts you in a trance that you don't even understand what's going on. Right. So we got to understand that the witches and the warlocks are in the pulpit. They're not just walking around. Mm -hmm. You got to be aware of the things that they say. Don't just get caught up in the emotions. You got to understand when witchcraft is present. Yep. All right. So he says, um, 14. verse 14, for these nations, which thou shalt uh, possess, hearken unto observers of times and unto diviners. So they're in divination and they're into astrology. But as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee so to do. So God says, I want my people separate, not like the world. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet, that's a capital P, mm -hmm. from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. So Moses was speaking of Jesus Christ way back when, and if you go to Acts 2, and I believe it's Acts, um, another one, Acts 7, they both talk about this prophet that would come, so we know that this is Jesus Christ. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. So he's trying to tell them that these people should be on point with him, with the Lord, and not separated. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet, that's, that's Jesus again, from among their brethren, like unto thee. So this prophet would be like unto Moses, but greater than Moses, you know? So this is what he's talking about right here, which is Jesus. Jesus said, and I think it's in John 1, a greater than Moses is here. All right, he said, a greater than Solomon, greater than them all. And will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. So you see, what this prophet would do would go right along with the will of the Father and do everything that was commanded of him. You know, you can say no one in this Bible did aside from Jesus and those yeah. who love the Holy Ghost. Yep. But this is the only one that, that Jesus would obey and, and do everything the Father said. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. So this is where people got to stop playing around because, you know, you get a lot of people be feeling good in the spirit. And, you know, you can have a spirit. It doesn't mean it's the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. You know, you may have a spirit, but it may not be holy. But we better stop saying what the Lord told me or what the Lord told me to tell others or show me. If one, you're not sure, or two, you know that you're lying. That's right. Don't do it to impress others. God is going to come see you. And for every idle word that we speak, we will be accountable for That's it. Right. So, you know, you lying pastors out there and all you people out there talking about what God told you or what he gave you, knowing that prosperity doctrine is not of the Lord, you're going to have some serious problems thinking that you're going to God's anointed. Yep. He will revisit these things. Repent and be made over and do right in God's sight. And it says, um, commanded to speak of other gods. You got Jesus now mixed with Chrislam in the church. You got people talking about that Muslims will go to heaven. 
You know, Muslims, are, are they worship Jesus and, you know, all these other things. Jesus couldn't possibly be the only way, Oprah says. And you got people believing that Oprah's church, that she's a Christian, when all she's ever done was deny Jesus. And what does um, John 4 say? Or well, 1 John 4, that is the spirit of Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. Yes, sir. And you even got people now uh, saying that uh, drugs, like they get high to see Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, talking about drugs, that's sorcery. Mm -hmm. You can't see the Lord that way, and God ain't going to work with you that way. Exactly. Verse 21, and it's, and oh, these are the gods. You know, you can take that unto what people are worshiping in church. Yeah. The things that they're getting into. This should not be a yoga studio or a martial arts studio, okay, in the church. For one, those are other gods. Mm -hmm. I'm not even going to get into that tonight, but you look up what... When they say Kia, when they punch in martial arts, that that is a foreign god from the east that, that a lot of people don't realize is giving them power. When you meditate, Russ Dizdar talked about this golden Buddha meditation that he used to get into that would open him up for spirits. So when you see these martial arts movies from back in the day, and you see guys flying through the trees and jumping high and punching through walls and all this stuff, man, that's not fake. That's based on reality. These yeah. people are full of demons that give people supernatural power. How a man can punch through, you know, five, about ten bricks and blow them all away with the palm of his hand, not even punching it. Mm -hmm. That is demonic power that these people have. And then they call themselves Christians. And if thou say in thy heart, how shall we know the word? which the Lord hath not spoken. And I want to talk to everybody about this because coming up, um, September 24th, September 23rd, people are believing in this false rapture. Mm -hmm. I want you to hear my words right now, what the Bible says. Okay, and I'm only repeating what the Lord says. If thou shalt say in thy heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? Now, he says, if you say in your heart, meaning what? You are seeking the truth. You want to know what is true. He's going to tell you in verse 22. When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that it that is of the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, um, thou shalt not be afraid of him. So in other words, that prophet will die, the Bible even talks about, but that they will, um, don't be afraid of them, because they're not the truth, and they're not speaking the truth. When God says a thing will happen, it will come to pass. Mm -hmm. If a prophet is false, he's going to tell you things, and they will not play out. So we got to be aware of these things for the Lord and be righteous. Let's go to Leviticus 19 and 31. And people wake up. Yep. Stop falling for the lies and fantasies if it's not in the in the body of Christ. If it's not even in the church. It's not even anything God said. How can you believe it? It says in verse 31, Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. So he's making it clear that we need to seek what the Lord says and not our own things. Let's go to Leviticus 20 and verse 6. It says, And the soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits, 
and after wizards, and go a-whoring after them, I will even set my face against that soul, and will cut him off from among his people. So, you know what? It is up to you to know what your pastor is up to. It is up to you to be led of the Spirit to understand what false doctrine may be in the church because salvation is an individual affair and we need to be led of the Spirit. If we're not led of the Spirit, we are in witchcraft and that includes false doctrine and everything else. Yes, sir. I was going to actually uh, ask if I could read chapter 9, Leviticus nineteen twenty-eight. Good. That's a good one. Good. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. Do not prostitute thy daughters to cause her to be a whore, lest the land, lest the land full of full fall to whoredom, and the land become full of wickedness. Exactly. So you know, there's the point there too that a lot of people are getting tattoos and all this other stuff. Those things were involved in witchcraft. Tattoos were started by the occult and by ancient Babylon and all these other Eastern philosophies and Eastern civilizations. They used those things for witchcraft. Mm -hmm. So you start getting things on your body, not even recognizing what they mean. Well, you get some women that want to get a tramp stamp in the base of their spine because somebody talked them into it. And then you get a freak spirit that goes into you. Or you find yourself living like the world then you understand that these things are not of God. Mm -hmm. So these things, demons follow symbols. And you get that ink under your flesh, that ink is prayed over in the Orient and other places. Yeah. So you don't understand that it's the devil marking his territory with you and not the Lord. So we got to be against these things and for what the Lord wants us to be into. And okay? I tell you, um, because, you know, I've got tattoos. And I was act I've actually been told before that the people who do the tattoos, who give them, they get high mm -hmm. before they put the tattoos on you because they say that it calms them down. But in reality, it's because they want other spirits to come into them. And it's like automatic writing, now on your arm. That's right. And in your spare time, read Ezekiel 28 and 11 because the Bible makes clear that Satan um, was like a musical instrument. So he understands how worshiping the Lord wrong can get you to fall. All Satan is, is attempting man to do today is what he tempted Adam and Eve to do. If he knew how to get kicked out, he's going to raise man up in the same pride and to do these things. So you guys don't want to listen to this? Hey, you don't have to. I'm telling you the truth. Yeah. But one thing is for sure, the Lord is going to visit any false prophet, any false worship, any strange fire that God didn't mean for us to have you're going to end up paying a price for. Mm -hmm. So we are to obey the Lord in everything that he's asked us to do. Because why? These things will hurt us. And they put us on the wrong side of the Lord. That's right. So let's move on. Let's go to uh, 1 Timothy 4. I'm going to go there real quick. And I'm telling you, man, a lot of people think they got a pastor they got a warlock sitting there in the pulpit. Mm -hmm. They got a wizard there doing all sorts of things to them. And they don't even know it. Exactly. I'll tell you what, I'm going to expose them tonight. I don't care. So, oh, well, my pastor loves to do that. It's not an issue. All right, well, tell him next time talk with his hands to his side. Right. How's that? <laughs> exactly. 1 Timothy 4 and 1, and it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, this is the Holy Ghost, that in the latter times 
Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Better translation? Well, I ain't going to say better, but a good translation for it? Demons. Mm -hmm. Doctrines of demons. So a lot of people are going to be pushed away from the truth, pursuing nonsense. Oh, I'm once saved, always saved. Once I get my salvation, I can never lose it. So I can go out there and live like the world, be involved in all sorts of sin. And no matter what, you can't lose your salvation. That's a doctrine of a demon. Pre-trib rapture, that Jesus Christ is going to come back before the seven-year tribulation. Everybody's going to be safe and sound. And then the Lord is going to come back a third time to judge the world. The Bible talks about his second coming, not three comings. Mm -hmm. And the Bible makes clear if, if everyone else has to be here through the tribulation, then we will be too. Yep. Okay, just the fact that someone wants to run off and do their thing when God is down here looking for vessels fit for him to use, then that ought to tell you that those people are involved in witchcraft. Those doctrines are doctrines of witchcraft. Why? Because they turn people away from God's will into seeking their own will and their own desires. So that proves that it is witchcraft. Mm -hmm. Look at two. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain, abstain from means which God hath created uh, to be received with thanksgiving of them, which believe and know the truth. So I'm going to separate these two. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. Again, the doctrines that I just mentioned, word of faith, prosperity, all those things fall under hypocritical stuff, and they fall under doctrines of demons. Having their conscience seared. When you start engaging in this sugar gospel and all this other garbage about, you know, all you want to talk about is love and we need to tolerate everybody and we can't judge anything. Just leave everybody to be themselves. Well, that, that sears your conscience. Because remember, Lot's righteous soul was vexed being in Sodom and Gomorrah with all those people, okay, that were not righteous. Mm -hmm. you can, the Bible says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? So false doctrine and the permittance of other things that are not of the Spirit of God to come in the midst, it will sear your conscience to where you start to see it as normal. Now, it talks about abstaining, um, and it says forbidding to marry and abstaining from meats. You know, a lot of these things are even talking about going up under the law. Yeah. That is also witchcraft, trying to tell people what they should and shouldn't do. But we're going to go there. But the point is, is that these things are also false doctrine, what you need to do along with the law. That's why if you go to Galatians 3, it talked about, Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? You know, trying to begin in the spirit. And then you go back to the works of the flesh. So don't let anybody push you up under the Levitical law, under Mosaic law. About you got to keep the, the Sabbath. You got to keep the feast. You got to do all these things. The Bible makes clear in Galatians 3 that the law was only a schoolmaster to the coming of Jesus Christ. Just how we read with Saul's effort, okay, with God giving Samuel commandment. And to give to Saul, and Saul's own effort getting in the way, what did that do? Ended up rejecting him. Mm -hmm. A little leaven, leaven of the whole lump. So you either go according to what the Spirit of God says and what His will is, that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay, it is a gift of God. 
but you start putting your own works and the law into it, and you quench the Spirit of God. God is not accepting any strange fire. That's right. So let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and it says, I charge thee therefore, brethren, I mean, I charge ye therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So how can you not judge if he's telling you here to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine? So your doctrine has to be sound. Yep. Jesus was speaking of hypocritical judgment. He wasn't speaking of judgment. Paul says in in first Tim in first Corinthians chapter two, he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. So this is about righteous judgment. This is not about thou can't judge. Yep. All right, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So you see, anybody can find a pastor out there that suits your will or your emotions and your desires. Yep. You want to be led by the Spirit of God and you want to seek the truth of God to know what His Word says. Mm -hmm. If you want to feel good, you got pastors for that. If you want to be a homosexual and stay one and worship Jesus, you got pastors that can tell you that. If you don't want to do anything and just live like hell and think you're one saved, always saved, you got pastors that can give you that. Okay, but they won't be giving you the truth. No. They're just they're just accommodating what your desires are. How about getting full of the Holy Ghost? How many pastors are telling you people die out to self? How many pastors are teaching you spiritual warfare? How many people are really telling you about demons and their cunning and how to have Christ form in you that you may walk with him? How many pastors are speaking about being baptized in the Holy Ghost? You see, or laying hands on the sick, having the fruit grown in us that the gifts of God may manifest. How many pastors are believing in that? But you see, people want to go to where they feel good, they won't feel convicted, and they'll sit up there having their conscience seared. So then when the right stuff comes, the true gospel, they automatically reject it because they believe that this trash is the gospel, and it is not. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, the gospel means good news. It is good news to point you towards God and towards eternal life, seeking his will, not our own. That's right. Verse 4, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, see, and shall be turned unto fables. So this is what happens. This is why you can get people predicting the end of the world every year. And every year you got a bunch of brain dead, moronic, false Christians running to this, waiting for a pre-tribulation rapture. Why? Because they don't want to yield to the truth of God. They don't want to believe that they got to suffer long. They don't want to believe in persecution. They don't want to believe in affliction. And through those things will they inherit the kingdom of God. He that endureth unto the end shall be saved. They don't want to get into that. Mm -hmm. So you see, they allow witchcraft to come into the midst to bewitch people into believing that that trash is true. And every year they're looking for a false savior. They're looking for the right man in office. They're looking for all this stuff that has nothing to do with God. That's right. So these are the things that the Lord is against. Um, 2 Peter chapter 2, we'll start at verse 1. 
witchcraft in the church. Second Peter 2 and 1, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who will privily, like sneakily, shall bring in damnable heresies, heresies that will damn your soul, doctrine that will damn you for the rest of your life in hell if you follow them, mm -hmm. even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now you got Joel Osteen telling people a whole bunch of have your best life now. Every day is Friday. You show me anywhere in this Bible where it says to have your best life now. That is a damnable witchcraft doctrine from hell. Okay, and then it says, And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So you see, you come to bring the truth, and it says many will follow their ways. Guys, stop looking at the many and start looking towards the few. God's church is not going to be a mega church. Nope. It's not going to be a popular place. He said in, in, uh, in uh, Matthew 7, Broad is the gate that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. But straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So you know that if we are pursuing the Lord, that he's going to work with the few. He's not going to work with the many. Anytime many is used in his Bible, it is always in a negative form. Exactly. So we got to stand on the truth. Now, you know, this is verse 3. And through covetousness, through greed, shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. So people would make merchandise of you with their witchcraft, which with their false gospel. You know, Creflo Dollar, T.D. Jakes, all those prosperity teachers out there telling people that if you don't pay your tithe, you will go to hell. Mm -hmm. All these things, they're making merchandise of you. Well, I want everybody to know there is no New Testament tithe. Exactly. There's no such thing as a New Testament tithe. You can give offering, but there is no tithe. So, matter of fact, we're going to knock this out, too, real quick. But I just wanted to bring up that point. We went from false doctrine. Now we're going unto tithing. Because you're going to find that that is also witchcraft to push people to do it. All right. So, let's go to, um, let's see. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we'll start at verse 1. Second Corinthians eight and one. Moreover, brethren, we do you, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the church of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction and abundance their, um, of their joy and their riches, I mean their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. So, huh? We look at this here. It talks about that in the great trial of the church of Macedonia of affliction and I mean of affliction the abundance of their joy which is a fruit of the spirit and their deep poverty which is their physical means abounded unto the riches of their liberality okay so 
What is this about prosperity doctrine where they talked about you need to give, give, give to the pastor, pay your tithes, and you'll get back extra? Well, he's talking here. He is praising a church that went through that trial and affliction, and in that, in that affliction came their abundance of joy and their deep poverty, but they have the riches of their liberality. So their riches is what? The richness of the Spirit. Right. Where the Spirit of the God of God is, there is liberty. Mm -hmm. So they are full of the Spirit, and they are rich in being able to move with the Spirit of God unto abundance. Now, not physical abundance, but you're adding unto the kingdom of God. You're doing the will of the Lord, being led by the Spirit. This is important. See, look at verse 3. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were um, willing of themselves, praying us with us in treaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And this they did, uh, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us, by the will of God. So they gave themselves over to the Lord first, that living sacrifice, mm -hmm. but they did that unto the will of God. Exactly. Insomuch that we desired Titus that that as he had begun, uh, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. So see, Titus began and Titus would finish. That's what the hope is. Mm -hmm. The hope is to stay in the spirit. Not to be once saved, always saved, and do what you want. So he's talking about being led of the Spirit here. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in, in faith, uh, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. So abounding in grace is kind of like God giving you more time to grow in him. Mm -hmm. You know, so grace is a very important thing that we shouldn't overlook. Right. People look at grace as a license to sin. Man, grace is having God's favor on you that he may bestow more unto you. And I'm not talking about physical means. I'm talking about being of the spirit, doing the will of the Lord, having his grace on you. Verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Mm -hmm. So he's not talking about money here. He was saying that Jesus Christ is very rich. You know, I mean, you can't have mansions in the kingdom of heaven and all this abundance if you're not rich. Exactly, but he yeah. didn't come that way. He came as a servant, okay, that they might be rich. I mean, yet through his poverty, through his long suffering, through him offering himself, that he may give them the spirit, that they may be rich in eternal glory with Christ and be full of the spirit. Verse 10, and herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you. Who have begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it that is there was a readiness to will. So there may be a performance also out of that which he has. 
For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and be burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply uh, for their want, and their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. So he's talking about doing the things that the Lord tells him to do. Like in other words, you put yourself out there with the spirit that others may have. You deny self so that others may gain. Now he's talking about abundance in the spirit. Now that they have all the Christ that they could, that is also beneficial to you in your spirit because you denied self that others may gain. So you see, it is a blessing unto you and them. There is abundance, also equality. Because you don't just have a pastor sitting up there demanding that everybody does. You are doing that others may have that they may also do. So you see where the equality comes from that all may have and not be separated from. All right, so where am I now? Um, let's see. 15. Uh, 15, and it says... As it is written, he that hath gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. So notice, this goes back to one of Jesus' parables about the reaper and the sower. About the, um, in Matthew 25, about the talents. Mm -hmm. Those that were faithful over few. And those that were faithful over greater. It's all equal in God's eyes because they're all active for the kingdom of God. They've all been productive. They've all been selfless. You get it or no? Huh? You get it or no? Get what? What I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, okay. Verse 16, or oh, verse 17, For indeed he accepted the exhortation, but uh, be willing, I mean, but being more forward uh, of his own accord, he went unto you. And we have sent him we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us uh, with his grace, which he which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord and the declaration of your ready mind. Avoiding this, that no man should blame us in the abundance which is administered by us. Providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them uh, our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. So you see, God wants an unselfish church. He wants people that mean, that want to do for others, that everyone may have. But when you're dealing with prosperity doctrine or you're dealing with that, your pastor's in charge of everything and you got the laity down there and he's supposed to be the clergy, you have this misunderstanding of God's will and then you got everybody serving him instead of doing what the Lord says. All right, so let's move on to another um, one here. Let's go to, um, let's go to 1 Timothy 6.
Matter of fact, go back to um, for Second uh, Corinthians nine. Sorry, I got one more thing in Second Corinthians nine. I want to address concerning this um, these uh, the tithe, and then we'll go from there to First Corinthians. I mean, First Timothy chapter six. Okay. All right. So Second Corinthians nine and one, and it says, "For as touching the ministering uh, to the saints, uh, it is superfluous for me uh, to write to you." For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked of very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain, in this behalf that I said uh, ye may be ready. Lest haply if uh, they of Macedonia come with me, to find you unprepared, uh, we, we that we, we that uh, we say not ye uh, should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they that they would go uh, before unto you and make up their and make up beforehand uh, your bounty, whereof ye have noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. So Paul was bragging on Achaia, talking to the Corinthians, saying, you know, they're doing as well as you guys. They're doing well. So I'm sending you out. We're going out there to see you, but it's important that you guys be ready. Yeah. Not like back in covetousness when we had already talked to you about, you know, letting those things go and pursuing the Lord. Right. But this I say, he which soweth um, sparingly, or sparingly, uh, shall reap uh, also sparingly, and he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So this is the you know um, God being a reciprocal God. That which you do is that which you get back. Mm -hmm. And it says, every man according according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give not grudgingly. Or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. So God is talking about cheerfulness and giving. Tithing is under the law. And that's why if you go back to um, uh, Galatians 5, it talked about love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness, faith, and temperance. For such there is no law. So how can you have a law for giving? You know, so tithing is a law for giving because the children of Israel didn't know how to give. Right. Okay, so he was teaching them as a schoolmaster. So if anyone's pushing a tithe in your face, you need to tell them God loves a cheerful giver. And see, if you put laws on the heart telling someone what they should give, who knows, a person that's cheerful may give more. Right. But if you're commanded to give, you can't do what God tells you to do. You're only going according to law, so it never touches your heart. But a person whose heart is after the Lord, that has the fruit grown in him, you may give more because you are a cheerful giver. You're not commanded or, or you know, told to give grudgingly. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always have all sufficiency in all, and all things may abound in every good work. So, you know, you want to give righteously. You want to give out of a pure heart, not of yourselves. That's right. So let's go here to um, 
Where did I say go? First uh, Timothy, Timothy six. And we'll start at verse three. And it says, I thank God whom I serve uh, from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee and my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears that I may, that I may, oh, I'm in the wrong place. Oops, excuse me. You didn't even tell me. Let's start at three. First Timothy 6 and 3, sorry. If any man teach otherwise and consent not with wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh up envy, strife, railings, and evil surmisings. So you see, out of this person that is not right, that is proud, look at all of the works of the flesh come out of him, but not the fruit of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Verse 5, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth. That means that there is no truth in them. Supposing that gain is godliness from such, withdraw thyself. So the Bible tells us to not be in the prosperity doctrine, to, to withdraw yourself from those that believe that to have gain or what we have in this physical world is godliness. Yeah. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts and drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covet after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. So that tells us there, we are to look Godward, we are to be in eternal life, we are to do the things of the Lord, because anything outside of the will of God is witchcraft. Mm -hmm. Covetedness, covetousness, seeking after prosperity and worldly gain is witchcraft. Why do you think the devil offered Jesus that? Because exactly. he wanted to take Jesus away from the will of the Father, which would have had Jesus in what? Witchcraft. witchcraft. Yeah. Because what is witchcraft overall? Rebellion. First Timothy chapter three. I mean chapter chapter two. Now these are for the women pastors. We'll start in verse eight. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, uh, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Now, he's not talking about whether somebody's hair is braided or not, obviously. He's talking about the way that you look, how the harlot would look. You know, shamefacedness and, um, you know, not in modest apparel. You're showing your body parts and things all over. Mm -hmm. This is a form of rebellion because you come and you're saying to yourself after reading this, God will accept me however I am. It doesn't matter. Now, I believe that the Holy Ghost will come and change a person from looking this way, you know, if the person allows 
the Spirit of God to work with them. Right. But it says, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So they call themselves, they're women professing godliness with their works. Okay? Then it says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity, which is love and holiness with sobriety. So they can turn away from their trying to dominate the church and unto their proper place with the Lord. Because what made Adam fall was, yes, sin, rebellion, but also hearkening unto the voice of his wife and not the Lord. So everything needs to be in its order. We'll go to three right here, verse one. This is a true saying that if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop, which is like a pastor, then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, nor striker, or greedy, or filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, nor covetous. So he cannot be greedy. He must be a man because he is the husband of one, husband of one wife, mm -hmm. must be vigilant and sober of good behavior. So anything outside of this is witchcraft. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Now, I don't have any children. I'm a teacher. I'm a minister. I'm not a pastor. If I were to call myself a pastor, not being married, not having children that should be in subjection, then what I would be dealing in is witchcraft. Mm -hmm. I would be a rebel doing my own thing outside of what the call of the Lord is. Right. So you see, witchcraft can hit us on many levels. So it is important that we stay under the will of the Lord. Exactly. Let's go to James 1 real quick. I want to make a point concerning, again, this tithing. I know we went into women pastors, but the Bible even talks about the woman Jezebel, who he suffers not to teach. You know, or to run the church of Thyatira. So read, um, I believe that's uh, Revelation 3 or 2. It's one of the seven yeah. churches. But the Lord is telling us how we ought to be. Now I want to go back to the tithing thing real quick. I want to go to James 1. And we'll start at verse 24. All right, James 1 and 24, and it says, no, you know what, let's, um, let's start at verse 22. James 1 and 22, be, but be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth uh, himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh unto the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Why? Because he is doing the will of the Lord. That's right. And that's why I talked about the perfect law of liberty. Because he is obeying the spirit of the Lord in everything that he does, not his own. Verse 26. 
If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. That means it's, it's worthless. Mm -hmm. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Yep. So if you want to give your tithe, this is how you do it. You take care of the fatherless and the widows, and I would even ask for add the homeless. Yeah. I'm not trying to put my own in this, but those without. And it says to keep himself unspotted from the world. So this is the will of God to do these things and not our own thing. Exactly. Let's go to, because um, I want to get into one last thing about people talking about the gifts have ceased and they have not. Let's go to um, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if you can, give 1 Corinthians 14. Second Timothy 3 and verse 1, and it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, uh, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. So you understand here that lovers of pleasures tend to be against lovers of God. Mm -hmm. They are not the same thing. To love pleasure is to love the world and the lust thereof, but to love God is to do the will of God. Mm -hmm. And all these things that you can mention above are of witchcraft. Yeah. You know, and, and not what the Lord calls. And that's why it says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And the Bible says, from such turn away. So you ought to be what God tells us to be. And we need to walk in that growing in grace. Because there's nothing like trying to be, or, you know, something, or on the outside appearing that way. But on the inside, your heart is black as soot. Not even, you know, what the Lord calls us to do. People that are self-proclaiming Christians that don't even believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Yeah. Look at what's his name. John MacArthur. What's the other guy? Um, Charles Stanley and others. Talking about the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. These things are blasphemy. This is having a form of godliness but denying the power. And that is witchcraft. Why? Mm -hmm. Because they're turning you away from the truth and you being full of what Christ is. Talking about speaking in tongues is of the devil. People are blaspheming the Holy Ghost. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away by diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. If verse 6 is not witchcraft and 7, then no one can tell me what is. Now you got these silly women crept into churches, laden with sins, and it says carried away. You know, by diverse uh, lust. 
So they're, they're pursuing their own wants, their own needs, their own desires, what makes them feel good. Mm -hmm. What could do that but witchcraft? Yep. You know, and the iniquity within and not seeking the truth. Exactly. Ever learning? I can go to a church for five minutes, being with the Spirit, and can tell you everything that's wrong with that church. Yep. Okay, but these people walk around in their own pride, sitting in church, ever learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Yeah. And what is the knowledge of the truth? Christ in you is the hope of glory. Yep. But people sit there and they're entertained and they like to hear funny stories and they like to listen to the choir and all these things, but never growing in Christ. Yep. This is what false prophets do. This is what sorcerers and warlocks in the pulpit do to people. Now, as Jannies and Jambres, it's funny how he mentioned them, mm -hmm. because they are the two magicians which, which uh, withstood Moses. Uh, they withstood Moses. Uh, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. So they're not after the real gospel. They're after their own wants and needs and desires. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be made shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, and Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. So Paul says that these people, in verse 8, resist the truth. They are men of corrupt minds. They are reprobate concerning the faith. But he says that they shall proceed no further. Then you go into 10 and it says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine. Who is Paul's doctrine? God's doctrine. Yep. Manner of life. How we should live. Purpose. What is God's will? Faith. What do we believe? Long-suffering, a fruit of the Spirit that you can't go without. Mm -hmm. Charity, which is love, selfless love, that agape love, to love your neighbor and love your God. Patience, the only way that things get done, a fruit of the Spirit. Persecution, okay, as Jesus said, is going to come to you and I yeah. if we obey Christ. Okay, if we walk as he walked, we will suffer as he suffered. Afflictions. We can't grow without them. And that's why Paul said, man, I did these things. Those people don't want the truth. They want to be entertained because they're a witchcraft. I'm telling you but what befalls every believer that wants to make it into the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. So then he says in verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. I want to so read that one again. Just in case. All right, verse you. 12. So Paul said, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So you got anybody trying to tell you about a pre trip rapture? Mm -hmm. You're once saved, always saved. You can't lose your salvation. God loves you, and we don't focus on all the negative things. Well, the Bible says clear here that the devil is coming to see you. And Paul talks about all these things that we would go through. Now, this is the truth of Christ. Yep. This is not witchcraft. But look at verse 13, and look at how it's 13. Mm -hmm. But evil men 
and seducers. What is a seducer? Someone that entices you into their false gospel or to do what they want. They're manipulators. Okay, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Okay, so you got a lot of pastors out there that are deceived that are preaching false gospel. You got a lot of them out there that are deceiving purposefully for their gain because they have to make merchandise of you. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So I don't care how funny and goofy your pastor is and what jokes he tells. You guys better start comparing him to this Bible because what the Bible says is what it is. That the man of God that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So they would be obeying the Spirit of God, doing what God says to do, and not their own desires, which is what? Witchcraft. Mm -hmm. 1 Corinthians 14, and I'm done. Because you see, a lot of people have used speaking in tongues as you know, in, in some terms of witchcraft too. I'm not talking about the gift of tongues. I'm talking about people misusing it in the church. Yeah. That is a form of witchcraft. Because it may be clear that the person speaking tongues, well, we're going to get there. Let's just finish this up real quick. And we can move on. What time is it? This will be the last thing, and I'm done. All right. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 1. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. So he's talking about, man, having prophecy, hearing from the Lord. That's more important of all the spiritual gifts. Okay, but he's saying to have charity and desire them. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Because, you know, he's speaking to God. He's not speaking to you and I. So, you know, things should be held in its proper order and, and not override what the Spirit of God is saying. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men for edification and exhortation and comfort. So Paul is saying, man, a person that prophesies and hears from the Lord direct is not just for you. You're edifying everybody around you, which is what the body of Christ should do. Right. But if you speak unto yourself, you're talking to God. That's no benefit to me. Uh, verse 4, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesy. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. So see, there's nothing wrong with speaking in tongues, but 
there should be an interpreter present. Now, if you're praising the Lord or whatever, you know, that's that's a different thing. But right. the overall point is that prophecy, you know, should be pushed more than just speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. And why Paul said this is because you had a lot of people that were just going around blurting off in tongues, having their own desires met, or trying to be seen as greater than other people by doing it, and doing other things that act like they're interpreting, not even knowing what it says. Mm -hmm. But to gain control over the masses. That is witchcraft. Yeah. Not the speaking in tongues, but in the order that tongue should go. Right. All right. So he says in verse 6, Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you, except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? And even things without life, giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? So, you know, he's talking about here, like every language, like if you don't understand, like, what the music is, how do you know what it is or where it's coming from? Right. Verse 8, For if the trumpet uh, give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So it should be for edification, but if you don't know if this is not a sound for war, if this is not a sound for gathering or whatever, how do you even know what's going on or what, what God's command is? Mm -hmm. So likewise ye, except ye utter uh, by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There, there are, it may be, uh, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. So in other words, he's talking voices, he's speaking of languages. Like, you know, every language, it's funny how you can be an American, but you know the difference between Spanish and French. If you've heard them before, they all have their own signature on them. Mm -hmm. You know what Russian sounds like. I mean, I'm speaking for me. I know what Chinese sounds like. I have an idea of what the difference between Chinese and Japanese. You know, but you would know what different languages are. Even how German has that guttural sound. Mm -hmm. Like it comes up from the gut and out. But you know what some of these languages are. So he's saying that each language has its own, I mean, none of them are without signification. Right. Therefore, I mean, and when it talks about signification, it's kind of like they're important. You speak German because there's German people around you. You speak French because there's French people around you or whatever it is. But you're speaking it like they all have signification. They all have a, a signature, but they're all for importance. You don't speak German because, you know, no one else around you speaks German. That doesn't make any sense. They're all brought forward for some type of edifying. Exactly. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a, speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Barbarians are considered like uneducated. They didn't have a language. They spoke outside of what the civilized world spoke. So if I'm speaking one thing and they're speaking something else, how is anything getting edified? No one understands anything. So it says in 12, Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may that he may interpret. So these are things that we might want the Lord to do. When we speak in tongues, 
Lord, if you're going to have me do that tonight, tell me what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Then other people might get it. Okay? For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? If I pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also, I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. So, you know, like if it came with the prayer, the prayer came, you would automatically be able to blurt out what the Lord said. This is what the Lord is saying, but he's not going to have anybody interpret themselves. Now, if the Lord tells you something that's different, but you see, that's also witchcraft, people speaking in their tongue, and then be, wait a minute, wait a minute, Lord says something else. You know, and then, ha, da, 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 da. and then, oh, the Lord said this. Oh, ha, da, da, da. you know, trying to gain control over the church. Right. But the point is, is that's witchcraft. Mm -hmm. Why? Because there's no understanding, and Paul is giving the order in how it should be. Exactly. All right. Uh, verse 16. Else, when thou shalt bless um, with, the, with the Spirit, how shall he that occupied the room of the unlearned say, Amen, and thy giving of thanks, um, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest. So he can't even stand with you, and he can't even learn anything, because what you're saying is just not what God has commanded. Right. Verse 17, For thou verily giveth thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all, yet in the church I had uh, rather speak five words with my understanding, then by my voice I might teach others also that 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. I mean, then 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So Paul is after edification, and that's what God wants more than anything with us. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. In the law it is written, with men of the other tongues, um, and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying um, serveth not to them that believe not, but to them that which believe. So prophesying is for edification. In other words, the Lord speaks to you, you speak the truth, it'll come to pass. We already read that earlier. So that would be on the side of what God desires, and people can see, man, God holds true. Yeah. So prophesying edifies the church. But if you speak in an unknown tongue, it is really for the unbeliever, because Jesus said, for these that believe, they will speak with new tongues. They will do this. So you would edify Man, this person is not even Hungarian, and they're speaking Hungarian. Yeah. That is proving the edification that God wants. And other people may desire, man, that had to come from God. This person doesn't even speak my language, but they're doing it right now. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is for tongues is for the unbeliever. Prophesying is for the edification of the believer. Right. You know, tongues proves to the unbeliever, man, there is a God. Man, did you hear that? Exactly. You know, verse 23. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelieving, will they not say that ye are mad? And that's what people say. Yeah. I've heard people say when I try to invite them here, whatever, 
hey, do y'all do any of that, like, speaking in tongues stuff? Because that stuff is crazy. Now, they're not really blaspheming. They are without understanding because they've seen wild things go on in the church that scared people. Yep. And they don't know what's going on. Verse 24, But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report uh, that God is in you of a truth. Why? Because prophecy comes from the words of God, and it brings forth truth. So people would right away be, man, this had to be of God. Yep. All right, verse 26. How is it then? And let me correct something, too, because the Lord just told me. Tongues, when he says it's for the unlearned or the unbelieving, he also means Gentiles. Okay, so let me make that correction because the Lord just told me that. But it's kind of like if I go to a Gentile nation and the Lord may have me speak in another tongue at that moment for the people, then that is proving that's for their edification because they don't speak your language. But you see, for the believing, which are people that are considered Jews or of Israel because they spoke the language. Does that make sense? So you're going to speak that to people that are around you and they're going to know what you mean. In prophecy. Right. But to other nations that don't speak your language, how will they know it's of God? Yeah, but exactly. if you can speak their language or the language is presented, that's what it is. So a lot of people confuse gift of tongues with the prayer language. They are tongues. But the gift of tongues, you get what I'm saying? You can go to different places and, the, and you will pick up that language. The Lord will give it to you for edifying. Yep. But the but um but a prayer language means that's a language between you and the Lord. Now, right. can it be a language that might be of another nation? Absolutely. But the point he's bringing up here is the unbeliever and the believer needs to be addressed. Because yep. other than that, you're speaking witchcraft. Yep. You're not even you you know you're edifying self. You're doing things on your own and not of God. Exactly. So it has to be. It, within the will of God, these things, because remember, anything outside of that is what? Witchcraft. Re yeah, rebellion. All right, so he says, uh, where am I? 26. 26, and it says, How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation, let all things be done unto edifying, so any of these things that we bring should be for edifying to teaching others that other people may gain. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three, and that, of course, and let one interpret. So he's saying let it be of two and three. If there are people that are speaking in tongues, he's talking like a whole congregation. Let it be, you know, someone, people there that, okay, if you guys are speaking... Don't let it get out of control with everybody in here doing it. But we need an interpreter present in case the Lord is trying to give us information that we may know. Right. Verse 28. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So you see, you can pray in your tongue, but it should be lower unto yourself or unto the Lord. Why? Because there's no interpreter. You don't know what spirit may come in speaking another tongue that may throw people off. Mm -hmm. They may say, my name is Legion, for we are many. 
You never know, and nobody knows what's being said in there. All right, so it says in verse 29, uh, let the prophet speak two or three, and let the other judge. So you see, he's he's bringing it into order. Okay, if anybody's going to prophesy in here, let it be two or three. But see, a lot of the times you got these women, and I've been in these churches, they run around, you know, talking about, oh, they're speaking in their tongue. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, there's music in that child right there. I can tell they're going to be there. And they're just walking around. Oh, I got a prophecy, brother. And this, no, nah, man, that's not the way that God said for it to be. Right. There should be two or three because someone's going to have to say if this came from the Lord or not. All right, let's finish up. So then it says, verse 30, if anything be revealed to another that sitteth by let the first hold his peace, for ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. So we're not supposed to cut each other off. If anybody has a prophecy in here, let it be all one by one, in order. Not just everybody talking about what they think at the same time. Verse 32. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, uh, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. So the women, he's not saying, I guess women can't really speak in the church, but he's saying that they shouldn't be doing this you know, prophesying and doing all this stuff outright without order. Mm -hmm. That's why he said, let them earn, learn in order. Right. So if they're learning in order, or he said under obedience, that means that if I were to say, or, or a man of God or someone in, in charge would say, well, she can get up and teach. She can do this. She can do that. That would be an obedience. Right. Okay. Verse 35. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Because I guess a lot of women were overriding their authority. Mm -hmm. They were jumping up, cutting the pastor off, asking their husbands things and doing this. Paul said, man, that needs to go on at home. Because this thing needs to be in proper headship. Exactly. So you see, anything outside of this is witchcraft. Mm -hmm. Verse 36. What? Came the word of God out, of, out from you, or came it unto you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. So you see, they have to honor, they have to know this stuff if they're going to be a prophet of the Lord. Anything outside of that? Rebellion and witchcraft. Verse 38. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophecy... Okay, so he said, cover the prophecy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Mm -hmm. So he's more interested in prophesying than anything. He's more interested in edification more than anything. But if the Lord hits you and you speak with your tongue, let an, let an interpreter be present, you know, right. or whatever. But God is in for edifying. So he wants his body to be right. God wants us to be in order. And this is not law. This is the will of God that I am speaking. 
Okay, I'm not pushing laws on anybody, but we all need to be in our righteous place with the Lord and pursuing that which He wants. That's right. Because anything outside of that is rebellion and witchcraft. Amen. A lot of people are taking over churches with this speaking in tongues and telling the pastor whatever, and because the pastor can't interpret, he believes it. Yeah. That's witchcraft. We got to obey the Lord. Alright, so that's the lesson for tonight. Sarah's going to present, and then we're going to go out in prayer. Alright, let's go to 2 Corinthians 1 and 8. Alright, 2 Corinthians 1 and 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength in so much that we, des that we despaired even of life. So, as we know what Paul was talking about here is, you know, we've, it's even been taught about before of he that endureth unto the end shall be saved, but he that loses his life for Christ will find it, and he that findeth it will lose it. Well, Paul was even saying here as well that even when we suffered, it didn't despair us in life that we suffered because we're all going to suffer persecution. That's what was read tonight. We, right. we as godly, are going to su suffer persecution. That's right. All right, let's look at verse 9. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Now that word sentence, I actually had to look it up in the Greek, is a judicial sentence. Like mm -hmm. if you were sentenced to a time in something, if mm -hmm. you're found guilty of something, mm -hmm. you are sentenced right. of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raised the dead. All right, and real quick, I'm going to read Romans 8 and 18. For I reckon, for I reckon that the suffering of this present time, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So, even if we do suffer as a Christian and go through things, it's not even to be compared that even if we suffer, the glory that we're going to receive for following Jesus Christ, we can't even compare it to that. No. Because when we get to heaven, it's going to be all worth following Christ so that we can be with Him in glory one day. And that it's just like, man, we got to get over the fact that we're going to have to suffer as a Christian because we should count it worthy. Amen. All right, verse 10. Who delivered us from so great a death and, do and doth deliver in whom we trust that He will that he will yet deliver us, all right? And then we can also compare this to what that delivered from death means, and we can compare this to Second Peter 2 and 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So that death is not talking about physical death. Mm -hmm. To deliver us from death is talking about the second death. So we, will, we would be delivered from hell we would be delivered from the lake of fire, that death. Mm -hmm. All right. And then verse 11. 
Ye also help, helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. So the reason why I read this tonight was is that a lot of people want to say that all the trouble that's going on around us uh, with the hurricanes and with the, fo the forest fires and everything like that, mm -hmm. people today want to blame God for all this happening. They want to say, well, if God existed, then he's sitting back laughing or he's not, he doesn't know that I exist or he doesn't care or mm -hmm. I just choose not to believe in God. So I asked the Lord if he could help me to break it down into the simplest terms for people to understand why God allows certain things to happen. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, the best biblical story that comes to mind is that of the prodigal son. And what people have to understand is, is that you got to go back into history. And then 1966, God was kicked out of our country. He was taken out of schools, prayer, and the Bible were taken out of schools. And from that time forward, it would slowly unravel and unravel mm -hmm. and unravel to today it's you get in big trouble for even talking about God in school, for even bringing Jesus Christ up. And from that time forward, if we look at how the country shifted mm -hmm. and how it's like, okay, now perverse things came in. Now it was like uh, other gods came in. I mean, mm -hmm. they had been around for hundreds of years already, right. but it was like slowly God started being taken out. And just like tonight when you talked about witchcraft in the pulpit, over the course of time, the real men of God would be taken out mm -hmm. and these seductress would be placed inside. Yeah. So the greatest and simplest terms is, is this. Let's say you have a good relationship with your parents. You got, you're getting along really great and then all of, a sudden, all of a sudden something happens and you have a falling out. And now you have an estranged relationship with your parents. Now your parents still love you. They still call you. They still want the best from you, for you. But the one thing that they cannot do or will not do is get in the way of the choices that we make. Mm -hmm. We still have the ability to make good choices or bad choices in our life, good or evil. And our parents are not going to be able to stop the choices that we make. Although they love us and they want that relationship to be forgiven. Mm -hmm. And if we call them up and say, Mom and Dad, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And let's get back together. If they're loving parents, yes, of course they will. And that's the same thing that has happened between us and God as a whole. Now, there are a few people in here that still believe in Jesus Christ, but this country as a whole kicked God out. Mm -hmm. So how crazy is it to say, well, I, I don't understand how God can ha let this happen. Well, God hasn't been allowed in this country for how long now? That's right. So it's like if you can compare it to a relationship with parents... And that the child wants nothing to do with the parents. The parents still love that child. Mm -hmm. But guess what? They're not going to get in the way of what choices that we make. Mm -hmm. So it's like that's the story of the prodigal son in scripture. The father still loved that child. But the child was still able to go out and do what he did. And he had to get to his lowest point in his life for him to understand. You know what? I had a really good back where I was at. And mm -hmm. I need to go back there. Yeah. So I just want everyone to have an understanding tonight that if you have, if you're questioning why things are happening, look to God, look to the Scriptures, and He will give you the answers. Amen. That's what I have.
Right, so I guess we can close out, but you know, it's just one of those things that people need to recognize. Check everything out with scripture. Amen. You know, because a lot of people have fallen prey to witchcraft and they don't even know it. I mean, you know, pastors pushing you up and under these false holidays. Mm -hmm. Diana worship, Easter worship, Christmas. You even got pastors giving kids candy for Halloween and yeah. all this other garbage. You know, those things have nothing to do with the Spirit of God. They are Antichrist. That's right. They are witchcraft. All right, so uh, Sarah can go out for... All right. Heavenly Father, I want to come to you tonight in Jesus' name. And I want to thank you, Lord, for another opportunity that you've given us to come tonight, Lord, and to study your word. Lord, and to digest your scriptures, Lord Jesus Christ, and to be closer to you, that we may be transformed into your image, the image of Jesus, Lord. Yes, Lord. And I'm praying tonight, Lord God Almighty, that if there's anyone dealing with witchcraft in their life, whether it be at the church that they're going to, whether it be someone on their, their job, Lord, whether it be someone in their, in their immediate family, Lord Jesus Christ, if they are hearing these words tonight, Lord God Almighty, that you will change them that they will seek a relationship after you, Lord Jesus Christ, that they will seek repentance, deliverance, Lord Jesus, and that way, Lord God Almighty, they can give the truth to their family or whoever it is. Yes, Lord. Because we are living, it is so evident, Lord, we are living in the last days. Lord, your scriptures, your true and holy word, Lord Jesus Christ, has been totally just turned around and turned upside down in this world because there's so much trying to mix and mingle, Lord God Almighty. And this is not how you planned it for us, Lord, but this is what the world has done. Yes, and you are looking for a people, Lord God Almighty, that will step outside of religion, that will look to you and you only, Lord Jesus Christ, for everything that's going on around us, to be able to tell people, Lord, of your goodness, of your mercy, Lord. The fact that you are the only one, Lord Jesus Christ, that can deliver us out of our circumstances, Lord. It's not a false religion. It's not a pastor. It's not drugs. It's not anyone else, Lord, or anything else but you, Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what your word says. And Lord, all of us that follow you are going to stand on your word because you are the rock of our salvation. You are our only hope of glory, Lord Jesus Christ, in these last days. With everything that's going on around us, it is evident that this is Satan's kingdom. But Lord, if we don't trust and believe in you only, and we get caught up with someone's false doctrine. Lord God Almighty, it will cast us into hell. And when everything goes completely crazy in these last days, Lord Jesus Christ, you were the only one that we are going to be able to depend upon, Lord. And we need to seek that relationship with you, Lord, to hear your voice, to know where you want us to go to, who you want us to talk to, Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we must have in our lives in these last days, Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty. And I just want to thank you, Lord. I want to bless and praise your holy name, Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm asking, Lord God Almighty, for fulfilling of your Holy Ghost upon us. For a heavy anointing upon this ministry, Lord. And with everything that everyone's going to or going through, Lord, that we give it all to you. To know that it is not greater than you, Lord Jesus Christ. That we give up the world. That we lay it all down and take up our cross and to follow you, Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord. But I'm praying, Lord, that we have the strength, your strength and your courage, that we will go out and that we will talk to people about you, Lord Jesus Christ. Because this is not a ministry 
This is not a salvation of seeking after other saved people, Lord, but is after those lost sheep. Lord, there are billions upon billions of people today, Lord, going to hell. And you're looking for a generation of people that will stand in the gap, Lord, that will be prayer warrior and prayer intercessors, Lord, that will get on our knees when you say pray. Thank you, Lord. That people will come to know you, Lord, in these last days. Seed planters for you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, God Almighty. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for everything and all that you've done for us. All manner of thought and conversation is going to glorify the name of Jesus, the name above all names, Lord. We are going to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We are going to take on the full armor of God and keep it on as we press forward into the spiritual warfare. Guide us, direct us, lead us into your truth and all truths, Lord. Place your shield of protection around us, but set us through that furnace of affliction that when we come to the other side, we reflect only you. In Jesus Christ, your most holy name I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.